Welcome to another exciting podcast from Sydney Life Church. Morning, church. How exciting is it to be here on the cusp of, well, not on the cusp, actually on the beginning of 2016, the first Sunday of the year, and the leadership felt that I should be the one <laughs> to bring you the message. Um, actually, before I start, I'd like to um, ask. And I can't see the person I'm looking for. Oh, she's there. Hi, Sarah. How good is that? How good is that? Now, here's, here's the thing. So um, we've been talking about Sarah painting for what feels like decades, but actually it's just probably months. And uh, I got a text on this early this week, and Sarah, of her own volition, um, text and said... I want to do it this Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, which I think is incredibly brave because this is not something that you see regularly or often in churches. And what excites me is that that is uh, a physical representation of our worship. So, you know, when worship goes into the ether and you sing the song and the song kind of disappears and dissipates and you might forget the melody or forget the tune or forget the song here we have something that's a permanent reminder of this first Sunday, this is our worship. How awesome is that? And I know, I know, I know that I know that I know God is looking down on this church, this congregation, and he's smiling. Those are my people offering what I want, what I desire most, which is worship. Right? How good is that? So thank you, Sarah, so much for doing that. And it looks amazing. Amazing. Can I have it? Man, after all that big up, she still said no. That's kind of good. So, uh, here I am. Uh, given the word, Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Uh, this, this message, this sermon, um, has been birth, growing, developing for a number of months, actually, before I even knew I was going to uh, preach. And um, it's really for this church, for this congregation. There are messages that could be for any congregation. There are messages that are applicable for anybody and everywhere. This one is for you. So have you ever, have you ever sat in a service, heard a message and had this thought, wow, I wish X was here to hear this message. I wish so-and-so was here because this would be really good for them. Have you ever heard that? This is not that message. This is not that sermon. This is for you. So I remember, actually, my, my good friend in uh, the UK, he was preaching a message, and he's quite um, dramatic. Um, and he's preaching, you've seen preachers when they go, no, 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 no. And he's preaching right, right uh, in the middle of his sermon. And then somebody stands, somebody's sitting down, quite excitable, and goes, that's right, pastor, you tell them, you tell them. And he responded, didn't miss a beat, and said, this is for you, actually, and carried on with the sermon. So the point of that is, this is for you. Nobody else, you have a responsibility to listen and to act upon this message. So I can say to you, I'm about to change your life. <laughs> sounds big, it sounds impossible, sounds rather boastful, but actually I can change your life. The responsibility of you is how long will that life be changed. You can hear this message and then do nothing about it and go back to how you were. Or you can make a change, which seems appropriate on the 3rd of January, 1st Sunday of 2016, to make a change and do something different. Who was here last week? Good. Warren wasn't here. That's very sad. That's very sad. Oh, yes, you're on holiday. That's right. Anyway, um, so who heard the sermon of Pastor Jim? Hands up again. Who was challenged by the sermon of Pastor Jim? Anybody who's got their hands down now, you need to put your hands up. Because anybody who heard that sermon should have been challenged. And here's why. Here's a couple of things that Pastor Jim said. Um, Pastor Jim said, told us very clearly on this pulpit right here, that heaven rejoices when a soul is saved. Heaven does not rejoice when we get a promotion. That's what Pastor Jim said. He said heaven rejoices, biblically heaven rejoices when there's a soul saved. That's the focus. That's the main thing. That's the thing to keep the main thing. I was challenged by that because I get really excited about promotion and do I get as excited about a soul be saved as a, my own promotion. He also said, 
in various ways, basically, get out of the building. That's what he was really saying. Right, Pastor Jim? You were. You were saying, get off your bottom. Can I say bottom? Is that right? Get off your bottom and get out of this building and do what you're commissioned to do. He also said, his church, this church, the church in general, is the only place that will bring relief from pain and suffering. Huge message, huge challenge for us all, and something for us all clearly to aim towards. And so I was thinking about his message, and actually, what I'm going to talk about is kind of the other side of the same coin, in terms of what is a church, what are we supposed to do, how are we supposed to be. And actually, if you're going to go out of this building and do what God has ordained and planned for you to do, then first of all, before that, you need to sort yourself out in this church, in this congregation. You can only give out what you receive. Does that make sense? So if you're not full and ready and equipped to do what you need to do, then it's going to be very difficult to go out there and change the world. So I'm going to talk about today what happens at SLC. So what happens at SLC absolutely, unequivocally, does not stay in SLC. Yeah? We have clear examples of that where people have been in this relatively small, in terms of number, congregation and go out and have massive effects all and impacts all around the world. So, you are not here by accident. You are not sitting in this church, in this building, in your very comfortable seat by accident. God has a plan and a purpose for this church. I was looking at my, on my fridge, and there's a, at the, who's got the orange SLC placard that says, we exist to be a people of influence. Those are lofty ideals, actually. Because that means the way you live your life on a day-to-day basis is born out of knowing that the reason for my being is to be a person of influence, to change what's around me, to change what's around in my home, in my church, in my workplace, in my environment. I am designed, I exist to make that change. So as I was thinking about this message, uh, and Warren alluded to actually that I've been here for three years and... I have absolutely connected with this church. And here's the weird thing, I think is weird, that having been in church all of my life and been in three or four churches moving around the UK, this is the church that I feel most connected to. You weird Australians, South Africans, uh, with different odd accents, uh, are the ones that I feel most connected to. You are my family. And the title of the sermon really is, um, You are important to me. And I need you to survive. You are that important to me that actually, if you don't make it, if you fall, if you slip, if you're in trouble, I am affected, I am impacted. It is not that you are just here and we're just kind of friends and I see you on a Sunday and then I don't see you the next Sunday. Actually, you are much more important to me than that. And that's partly because I guess for me, in order to get to my family, I have to fly 23 hours to actually be with them. So you are my family. You are helping me to survive. You, and people ask me, they say, oh, you've been here three years, I don't know anybody. How, how, how is it? Do you miss your family? Do you want to go? And I do, of course I do miss my family. But I am absolutely settled because of you. Not because of work, not because of threat, because of you. You are what keeps me going. You are... Um, everything to me in so many ways more than you can ever more than I can actually tell you and much more than you'll ever know you mean that much to me so when I come to your house and eat your food <laughs> which I've done on quite a few of you I was talking to Ian because I remember when I first came Ian I went to Ian's house and he made me a homemade pizza what he doesn't know is that I hate tomatoes <laughs> and he put massive tomatoes on his pizza but I ate the pizza because I wanted to know how much I appreciated, even though I didn't like it, how much I appreciated <laughs> you making those pizzas for me. I am so connected to you that I will turn up at Warren Erickson's house day or night without telling him and just knock on the door and walk in. And I treat his house absolutely like my own. 
I have no respect for anybody. I will go in there and I will just open the cupboard, start making a cup of tea, and I will ring Bernice and say, Bernice, go get some jam because there's no jam. Uh, and this is true. I've done this. Jam, there's no jam in the cupboard. Please make sure you put that on your shopping list and come back quickly because I'm hungry. That's what I do. That's how connected I am. To, I will sit in Fab's house and we will dance to music that is inappropriate, but we will just do it anyway because I love you. I will sit with uh, Penny in Edgecliff in a beautiful apartment and watch uh, the um, amazing fireworks and have just true fellowship. It's amazing. So wh- what I have, I want you to have in this congregation. I have gone out of my way to make those connections. I have just said to people, I'm coming to your house on Thursday at this time. What do you want me to bring? That's kind of how, I, how I, I do it. I've even gone to people's house where they start feeding possums. <laughs> Hi, Brad. How are you doing? Good to see you. And put Christmas hats on possums. These are the crazy people that are at this church. But you are important to me, and I need you to survive. So you've helped write this message. You have helped design and craft this message, which is good because if it's rubbish, then you have some responsibility <laughs> for that message. If it's great, it's all me. If it's not so great, then, guys, you should have sorted yourselves out and done a better job. So this church is crucial. This church, this set of people... In this room is absolutely critical. You are critical for my survival, and I am responsible and critical for your survival. That's how it goes. How do I know that's how it goes? How do I know that this church, this congregation is so important? Well, let's go to Jesus. Seems like a good place to go. So where's um, Benjamin? Here he is. So I like Benjamin. Um, He's just going to come and read Luke 2, verse 48 and 49. But before he does, let me give you some background to this. So uh, Mary uh, and Joseph, whom you know, hopefully, um, they are, every year they go to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, which is about 150 kilometers from Nazareth. So they make that journey. They don't have planes. They don't have uh, Audis. They don't have that kind of transport, they have to make their way on donkey, by foot, whatever it is, to get to these 150 kilometers every year to go to um, the Feast of the Passover. And they have a uh, 12-year-old uh, son with them. Ashley, could you come to the front? Now, clearly, Ashley's not um, a son. Ashley's a daughter. Uh, but Ashley happens to be 12 years old. So here we have Jesus um, with his two parents. Can you imagine what it's like to bring up a perfect child? Can you imagine what that must have been like? As a parent, that must have been so challenging to know that this child has done no wrong, does no wrong, and making me look bad. But anyway, that's just another side story. So um, they get to the uh, Passover, uh, get to the festival, and then they lose Jesus. So, um, and they don't lose him for, who's ever lost a child in congregation? Even for five minutes, I have. How do you feel when that happens? Terror, panic. I'm a Christian and I'm saved and I love Jesus and I know he's in control. But at that point, I am just panicked about what, what might have happened to my child. So they don't, they don't lose it for an hour or two hours. They lose Jesus for three days. Oh my God, he's correct. Actually, that's a very good response. So um, they're obviously frantic, looking for Jesus. And actually, I, I think what would happen, because in those, uh, in those days, um, men and women would have gone on their separate race. So Mary's assumed Jesus is with Joseph, and Joseph has assumed the same. I also know that I know who was most worried when the child was lost. I know Joseph was more worried because Joseph was worried about the child and also worried about his wife's reaction <laughs> to the fact that the child is lost. Because you know, he knows he's going to get the blame at some point <laughs> for this happening. So he's doubly concerned about what's going on. And I know that's true. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, they finally, after three days, find Jesus. So can you read um, verses 48 and 49? You've got a mic for him, please. Your mouth is big, you don't need a mouth. Anyway, go on. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So that's really significant. 
You can sit down now, Ashley. Because you imagine Ashley saying that to you after you've missed missing three days. I mean, I know what my reaction would be, but that's different. <laughs> those words are really important because those are the first recorded words of Jesus. The first words he's ever said, not the first words he's ever said, but the first words that we know he said. And those words are, Why, where else would I be but in his house? What he really wanted to say, but he didn't know the song at that point. But if Jesus knew the song, he would have been singing, There's no place that I'd rather be. That's what he would have sung. But that's 12 years old, gone for three days, but where else? Are, this is, so what Jesus is saying at 12 is that actually, this is, more, this is the, mo, the most important place. More important than being with my parents is being in this house right now. Really challenging, right? The congregation, the people of God that I'm with, they are number one priority. Uh, the second scripture is Matthew 12, uh, 46 to 50, if you could please read. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So there's another thank you. Clear, as clear as it can be, who, these people, you are my brothers and sisters. They are wanted, and they're his blood relatives, half blood relatives, his brothers. But he says, these are my, you are my brothers and sisters. So there's a, there's a, a popular wisdom in church is that, what I've heard over the years is that you have God first, then your family, and then church. That's not what Jesus said. God first, and then family is church, church is family, same thing. Same thing. That's how important you are. That's how important this congregation is. So, it's clear that this congregation is important. And so, we are members of this church, and so C.S. Lewis wrote about the definition of membership. And he says this. The very word membership is of Christian origin, but it's been taken over by the world and emptied of all meaning, like many words have been. What Paul in Scripture means by members is what we should call organs, things essentially different from and complementary to one another. True membership may be seen in the structure of a family. So you've got the grandfather, the parents, the adult son, the child, and even the dog. They are true members in the organic sense. And they're true members because they are not members of the same class. But they are members of the family. They are not interchangeable. The son cannot be the grandfather. And the cannot, well, he can be, but do you know what I mean? They are not interchangeable. If you subtract, if you subtract any one member... You have not simply reduced the family in number. You have inflicted an injury on its structure. I'll say that again. They are not interchangeable. You are not interchangeable. If one of you leaves, if, one of, if we lose one of you, it is not simply that the number of the congregation goes from 100 to 99 or 85 to 84. It is not that. There is an injury to the actual structure of this organization, if you don't make it, if you don't survive. That's how important this church is. I was reading um, Brian Houston's book, Love, Light, Love, Live, Love, Live, Lead, or Love, yeah, Love, Live, Lead. Um, and Brian Houston says, I believe that our fellowship with one another cannot be based merely on agreement. It can't be based on us saying, well, I believe in charismatic, I believe in Pentecostal, I believe, and therefore you kind of fit my values and therefore I can become a member. It's more than that. Fellowship, it must be based on Jesus and on the love that he so readily gives to each and every person who calls on his name. That's the love I have for you. The love I have for you is not just because we happen to have some kind of agreement about the way we worship and the Bible that we read and the interpretations of the Bible. I love you with a love that Jesus loves me, which, frankly, is a big, massive love. I might not agree with everything you say. I might not, agree with every, I might not even like everything you do, 
But I love you with the love of Jesus because you are a member of this structure, this family. And you are important. You are so important to me. I need you to survive. I need you to make it. I heard a message, uh, Joel Abel, again from Hillsong. And he says, fellowship is like uh, the below the surface conversation. So what it means is that, and, and I remember when I came to Australia, you guys say, how are you going? That doesn't sound Australian, but that's my version of Australian accent. How are you going? So that's the first uh, part of the conversation that you normally have. Fellowship is the conversation after that. It is how you investigate, how you find out how that person is feeling. What are they really feeling? What's really going on? And how can I help you? What can I do to help you make it? What can I do? It's not interrogating. It's not browbeating. But it is being available to find out more than just how you're going on a Sunday morning. Definition of fellowship is also the Greek word for... I'm always conscious of saying Greek word because I think of Paul and then a lot of days of looking for Paul. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Um, koinonia means communion, joint participation, the, say, the share which one has in anything, participation, a gift jointly contributed. These are the words that define this congregation. You are inextricably linked to me. So then I think about how do I, how do we um, make sure that there's fellowship? What are the practical things that we can do to ensure that you feel part of my family and I always feel part of your family? Not just because we're friends and we get on, but because you are absolutely connected to me. So I, I come from a hotel background. I worked in hotels for more years than I'll care to admit to you. And um, one of the first things you learn when you, especially working in, anybody's worked in, anybody who's worked in restaurants, anybody worked in restaurants? Great. Oh, yeah, Christy's definitely worked in restaurants. Christy cooks great food, by the way. To get yourself an invite. <laughs> to our, it's important you do this. You will thank me for that. Um, so when you're working in restaurants, what you learn quickly is the value of eye contact. Uh, and because... Eye contact is, as a, as a waiter, is linked to the amount of tips you get. So if I'm a good waiter and I'm making regular eye contact with the 15, 40, whatever many tables that I'm looking after, what I'm doing with the eye contact is making sure that I can anticipate before they need the glass of wine or the extra bread or the next course, I've anticipated that because I've seen their eye contact. And it isn't even about their eye contact with me. It's I can see them looking at each other. Their body language, I know, right, they're ready now for the next And let me get there before they have to ask me, because then that makes me look like a hero, which means that they'll give me $20 instead of nothing, which is important when you're a waiter in a restaurant. So in church, eye contact is really important. And so and I think sometimes we don't realize that if I'm talking to Laura now, I'm making you nervous. Wrong person. So I'm talking to Laura now, and we're having a conversation. And whilst Laura's talking to me, I'm looking around behind her. Because I'm thinking about, who else wants to talk to me? This happens every time after church on Sunday. This will happen today. So I'm aware of somebody, so I look at somebody else, and I, I look, I'm looking. So I'm, 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 hearing, I'm hearing what she's saying, but my eyes are over here. And it only takes a nanosecond for my eyes to leave yours, go somewhere else. And how does Laura feel immediately when she sees me looking somewhere else? Rejected. I'm not listening to I am listening to Honestly, I'm listening to you. I can hear what you're saying. But the eye contact that's just gone for a second, what it says to her is, I'm not important. You would rather be talking to somebody else. And actually, next week, I'm not going to talk to you. Because you make me feel this because you're not giving me the eye contact. Now, it could be, and if I do this to anybody, this is the reason why I look at Because I'm just aware of other people, so I automatically look. So your job, my job, is to make sure when you're having a conversation, be 100% present. Be, if it's a 10-second conversation, do not lose eye contact with that person. Make sure that person knows you are listening and it is important what they're saying to you. You value that person. You love that person with the love of Jesus. So clearly when they're talking to me, I want to listen. I want to know. I want to help. 
I need you to survive. You're important to me. So I'm going to listen intently using my eyes. I know that sounds weird, but you listen with your eyes because that's how you feel I'm listening. Make sure you maintain that eye contact. The second thing is, when you ask the below the surface conversation, when you've gone past the how you're going and you're having a conversation, here's a ratio that you really need to remember. I know some of you haven't been in school in a long time, so I don't need to explain ratios, hopefully. But this is the ratio that's really important. You have two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion. <laughs> if somebody's talking to you, and this is what we all do, somebody's talking to me, and what I'm doing while they're talking is thinking about what am I going to say. I'm thinking about what I'm going to respond to them whilst they're talking. I can't, and I'm a man, so I definitely can't do two things at once. So what happens is that I lose your conversation because I'm thinking about the next conversation. So my, my, my challenge to you is shut up. Listen to what they're saying. Hear what they're saying. And how we communicate as humans is not just by language. It really isn't by the words. I can say to you, <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm clearly not because I've got a big cheesy grin on my face. So look for their body language, understand what they're saying, feel, what they're, feel their pain, or if it's pain, feel their joy. Respond to that. But hear what they're saying. And I know there's stuff going on, and teas and coffees, and blah, 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 and other people want to speak to you, and I know I, this happens to all where you see somebody standing waiting, let them wait, just I'm not, I'm, but have that conversation, listen to what the person's saying. I need you to survive. And this might be the only opportunity you have to express how you feel. You may not be in a relationship where you can call me or send me a text. I don't feel comfortable to do that. So this is a time, this moment when we're together in this building, in this congregation, at this service, is a time to make sure I'm doing all I can to be available for you. I'm not here for me. I am in this way because I want to receive from God. But I'm here for you. That's my job. That's my reason for being if I want to be a person of influence, who better to influence than the people around me in this church? So there's eye contact. There's the um, two ears and one mouth. And the biggest one for me is the hug. The power of the hug. Now, some of you should know that I'm a hugger. So please don't be offended because I'm going to hug you. I will do that. And it's a bit weird, actually. I was thinking on the way here that, um, where does that come from? Because I'm not, my family, my, my mom and my dad, we're not huggers. And it's really weird. When I even, I've been away for, last time I went to the UK was May, and I hadn't seen them for four months. Go there. And it's really awkward to hug my mom. How weird is that? I do it, but it just feels really weird. I hug Warren, and it's all, which is really strange. And I hug Peter, and it's fine, and it's normal. But my own because we just, we didn't grow up like that. Caribbean family, it's all about, you know what, I've got work to do, I'm all about raising the family, getting the house sorted, getting a job sorted, doing all that, so I haven't got time for displays of affection, that is not what, but even though I grew up like that, I crave that affection. Who here has needed a hug, had a hug, and felt worse after the hug? Has that ever happened? Have you ever felt, oh no, <laughs> okay, maybe one, but uh... <laughs> I was really hoping nobody would say yes, but anyway, um, I'll give you a hug and I'll make sure that you enjoy it. So, um, hugging is great. So, who's seen, who's seen Star Wars? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The Force Awakens, the latest one. People are going, what's that? Okay, I might have a little spoiler here. Who wants to see Star Wars, The Force Awakens? And, okay, can you leave the room now? Okay, close your ears. So, there's a really interesting scene in... Um, Star Wars. So Princess Leia. We all know Princess Leia, right? No. Uh, oh. <laughs> Some of us know Princess Leia, who is, has the bun, and she's from the, uh, the last generation of Star Wars. We all, uh, those of us a certain age grew up watching her. So Princess Leia um, is there, and then this new um, book, if you like, the new star of Star Wars, which is clearly set up for the next few series, is Rey. 
Um, I had to ask Laura the other day what was it, I couldn't remember it. Ray. So Ray is a new kid on the block. Ray is um, feisty, she's um, strong, she's independent, uh, she's a fighter, she's a, she's a warrior. So you've got Leia, Princess, uh, Princess Leia, uh, who's looking much older than she did back in the day, but that's what happens. Uh, putting a bit of weight, but I'm not holding it against her. So Princess Leia's there, uh, and then you've got this new um, Ray. They don't know each other, they've just met. So it's a very um, early in the relationship. And what happens is that Han Solo, my hero, I saw Harrison Ford the other day, actually. So just you didn't, but I did. Anyway, um, Harrison Ford, key person in the whole of the, uh, every Star Trek, and he's the man, right? Uh, he's, he's that Tomb Raider kind of snarling, uh, don't make care person who, who, who's there. So, close your ears, close your ears. Han Solo dies. Okay, carry on. So, Han Solo dies. And so, um, Ray is um, kind of with Han Solo when he passes. Um, and so, <laughs> Ray comes back, uh, lands in the ship, uh, and sees. Princess Leia. Now, they don't know each other very well at all. They kind of know of each other, but don't know each other. There is no relationship. But they both find out that this central person to both of them has died. It's a tragic moment. It's um, oh, I'm not looking at Sarah. It's a tragic moment. And so they meet. What do they do when they meet? There's no words. There's no dialogue. There's no explanation of what happened. There's, no, there's none of that. In that hug, everything is said. Everything is done. Everything is understood in that hug. It's just a hug. But everything is done in that hug. Princess Leia understands Ray. Ray understands Princess Leia in, that, in the midst of that hug. Can you put up that um, slide, please? Um, <coughs> fabulous. So did you know that a 20-second hug releases the bonding hormone and neurotransmitter oxytocin? Is that right? Um, good. That's good. Glad I said that. Which is nature's antidepressant, antidepressant and anti-anxiety. So there's a reason why you feel better after a hug. It changes you physiologically. Now, there is a time limit on this, by the way. I want to make this clear. <laughs> so there's a reason this is a 20-second... If it's a 50-second hug, then that's a whole other thing that I'm not going to put on the slide because you kind of know where I'm coming from, right? So uh, here's the challenge for us all. Make sure you hug. And it isn't always... Com- yeah, yeah, if you have to have a timer, yeah. but make eye contact with the person, not your watch, when you're making that hug. Um, please hug, it's really important. And the best thing about a hug, the best thing about a hug is that I give you a hug and I always receive a hug when I give you a hug. has to happen. I can't hug, well, unless it's really awkward. I can't hug you, unless you stand like that, and that's going to be messy. But I can't hug you without you hugging me. So I'm giving out, I'm making sure that I'm connecting with you, and then you're doing the same with me for that 20 seconds, people. I want to make that clear for 20 seconds. Very, very important. The best hugger in this church is who? Everybody says that. If you're not sure how to hug, I don't know if Paul's going to allow me to say it. It's too late, I'm saying it. Uh, if you want to know what it feels like to be genuinely loved, to feel safe and secure, and like all your problems are falling away, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's happening around you, please go hug Sylvie. <laughs> I'm telling you now, you will come out feeling like, wow, that's amazing. She doesn't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in her life, but when I hug Sylvie, I feel really good. I'm like, yeah, man. And I'm gutted she's not here today. So Paul, please tell her from me. We love Sylvie. So if we're hugging, if we're making eye contact, if we're having the after the, um, after the how you're going uh, conversation, 
how do I know? How do, what does success feel like? What does success look like for this congregation, for this church, for SLC? How do I know it's working? I've got a couple of examples, actually. So if I were to get a text on Monday... Where's my phone? Um, oh, I'm glad I didn't fall then. That could have been embarrassing. Um, if I get a text... On, please don't delete it because that's going to be really embarrassing. There you go. That's good. And the text reads like this. Hey, hope you're having a good day. Just wanted to ask you that you keep me in your prayers. I'm just struggling with some stuff at the moment. I would appreciate a prayer. Take care and I'll catch you soon. Now, I'd have to know. I don't even care what he's going through, what that person's going through. It doesn't matter. The fact is that person has sent the text, has felt safe enough to send the text, has known that I will respond in a way that is righteous and godly and will pray for that person. It was great because I was thinking about this sermon. I was thinking about some examples. And God, in his awesome made sure the time was right and I got this text and I was actually with, uh, with Peter that's why I was driving driving um, to Tamworth or back from Tamworth and I was in the car with Peter and she said Peter got this text and we just prayed right there and then that second I sent a text back and just said just prayed all done all sorted see you soon that's success that's what a church is supposed to be that's what connection is. That's what fellowship is. That's what membership of the... If you're hurting, call on me first. I'm the one you call. I'm the one you send a text. I'm here for you. Another example of what success looks like is... Um, imagine the scenario that you're driving a car. Let, let's say, for argument's sake, the car is white. Let's say, for argument's sake... The car's an hour. How did you know? That's prophetic, man. That's deep. So let's say the car's a white Audi. Um, and let's say it's uh, 11.45 p.m. at night. And let's say the owner of this white Audi at 11.30 p.m. has just been out with some friends in, let's say, Newtown. And let's say that... Um, He's gone out to the restaurant and managed to, embarrassingly for him, whoever this person is, uh, managed to leave the ignition on the car so the full lights are on for three hours. So imagine this person who owns this white Audi in Newtown at 11.45 p.m. at night goes back to his car and the battery is unsurprisingly completely flat. So this person... Sitting in his car, it's a very nice car, can't move anywhere, but it's a nice car. Um, slightly embarrassed because people are walking past, so why is this guy sitting in his car not moving? And, and who does this person text at 11.40 p.m. at night? It happens to be on my phone, actually. It's weird, that. Um, don't know how that happened. Person was so, so this person sends it. It's me, obviously. Um, <laughs> So I send a text and I say, hi, James, are you by any chance awake? At this point, I'm like, man, it's quarter to 12 at night. My first thing is, Chris is going to kill me. Chris is going to kill me. So immediately, immediately, James responds and says, yes, I am. So I'm like, thank you, God. And I say, ah, good. Uh, I wonder if I can ask a huge... You know, I'm really playing it out now. I wonder if I can ask... I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the guy now. He's 11.45. I might as well just ask him. But I'm saying, can I ask you a huge favour? He's hardly going to say no, is he? So he says yes. And I say, I'm in Newtown and the battery on the car is flat as I've accidentally left the lights on. His response is, where are you? I'll come over. That's... That's, that's a text you send your dad. That's a text you send your older brother. But I felt safe enough and loved enough knowing that I can call James at nearly midnight out of his bed, bring jump leads, come to rescue the idiot who's left his lights on. And even more than that, it's not like James says, man, what, bro, what are you doing? 
He's, this is James. Uh, don't worry, I did it. I did it last week. <laughs> and I'm like, so, so not only has James come and rescued me from Newtown, which is a bit dodgy, by the way, for those who don't know, um, but he's also made me feel better and made it absolutely no problem whatsoever. The fact that we couldn't find a battery in the car is a whole other story, so <laughs> you can, you can, uh, we can, and you really couldn't. It's embarrassing, man. What Audi's doing? You can't. Anyway, so, um, what was I saying? Yes. That's church. That's fellowship. That's membership. I felt, actually, you're lucky, Peter, because if he wasn't there, you were the next on the list. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were the next on the list. And then, Vim, you were possibly there as well. So, you know what I'm saying? I've got people in my life that I can be stranded to, and I don't have to call NRMA and pay $90 for the car. Anyway, I will do it, honestly. I will do it. I can call on people. Because they are my family. They are my... You are that close to me. Success looks like that. Success looks like... Um, the last one is... Um, Penny and I have been talking about coffee for months. Um, and success in terms of a congregation, a, a fellowship, a true membership organisation is Penny coming to me after church last Sunday, stepping out of her comfort zone and just saying to me, can we go for a coffee? And I respond, yes. And we have an amazing meeting of mind, spirit, etc., to the point that I inveigled myself to get an invite to this Edgecliff wonderful apartment for New Year's Eve, which worked out really well, thanks. Um, <laughs> So I'm, but Penny told me, I, don't, I, I was just going to say, do you mind me telling me, but again, it's too late because I've told them. Um, so Penny told me that she had to step out of her comfort zone, even though I'm a, and I am a nice guy, just in case you're not sure, I am a very nice But even, even with that, Penny had to step out of her comfort zone, risk rejection, risk me saying, you know what, I'm busy, maybe we'll do another time, and took, took the step and said, can we go? And we did, and it was amazing. That's what a church is. That's what it should be. That's what I want. So the connections I have with you guys, I don't want me to have them with you, I want you to have them with each other. And don't be waiting on anybody else to make that. You have to, and I've learned this, you have to step out of your comfort zone. You can't just be with the people that you like or that you get on with. Make those connections because these people need you. Brad needs you to survive. I need you to survive. You are that important to me. You are everything to me. We are everything to you. And at that point, we can then go out and change the world. And when the world is changing, they come back here, they walk in here, they don't have to hear anything, they don't have to hear a song, they don't have to see anything. They just feel this amazing love as they walk through those two doors. They're like, whoa, what is this? This is not what I'm used to. We know the world is messed up. We know that. We know the disaster and strife and the news is awful. Here, right here in this building, with these people in this church, is where there's relief from pain and suffering. You are important to me, and I desperately need you to survive. So here's my commitment. Can you put this last slide up, please? He's such a show-off, you know, always anticipating what I do when Ginger does it. He's so good, Fab. Um, so here's my commitment. And this is my personal commitment, but I, want, I would like you to make it your commitment. I, in fact, I would like it to be our commitment as this body of Christ. I will hug more. Not long length of time, just more often. Just want to put that point. Good. I will hug you more. No matter how I'm feeling, I need you to survive. And I know that when I hug you, you're going to give me a hug back. I will ask the below the surface questions. And at the point of asking those questions, I will use my ears and my mouth in proportion. Let me hear you. I will give you that time. The most precious gift I can give you is that attention and that time to say what you want to say and be there and give you and make you, which is in the third one, make you feel safe. Safe enough to ask me anything. Safe enough to send me a text. Safe enough to call me at 11.45. Please don't be doing that because I don't have jump leads, so I am not the person. To call. 
safe enough to call at 11.45 p.m. at night, out of my bed, and I will come and I will rescue you because I need you to survive. I will do that for you. That is my commitment. That is how important you are to me. Guys, I love you so much. Yeah. Um, so what I want us to do... Uh, everybody stand. Can you play that song, please, um, John? So we've decided, we've, we, we're clear that I need you to survive. You're important to me. So there's a song playing with the words as well, Fab, um, which is kind of where this sermon came from um, about six months ago. So in order to make you survive, clearly we have to pray for each other. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do right now, is turn whoever it is to, and just pray for each other, because I need you and you need me. We're all a part of God's family. Stand with me. Agree with me. If anybody wants to come to the front, Warren, Peter and the Suzanne here will pray. Well, let's pray for each other. Let's hug. Nice.
yeah. I must have to get a different version because I read it, but I thought this doesn't look a little bit like what Alan told me. Yeah. I was on the ESV, which is the English standard version, but let's look at yours. Unless I had the wrong. Somebody here to tell I won't harm you with words. 
another podcast from Sydney Life Church. For more teaching and resources, please head to our website, sydneylifechurch.com.